You're tuned into CICK 93.9 FM, Smithers Community Radio. This is River Reads with your host and narrator River Wild, a story hour where those of all ages can escape into Creative Commons fairy tales in stories, both new and old, but mostly old, and at times macabre, or silly, or even perhaps a little confusing, as often written in Old English and the host fumbles words, or then there are those stories that have just poorly aged over the years, but we're not being too picky, being limited to copyright-free material. So, if you enjoy a narrated story, and don't mind a weird tale. Let's begin. River Reads is not a kid's show, but is not, not, a kid's show. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, hello. I am your host and narrator, River Wild, recording live from under my stairs, um, aka not really live. I just record that way to cut down on editing. This week, episode 11, Let's Do It Again. Reading, in no particular order, The Lad Who Did Not Know What Fear Was from Nordic Tales, The Giant Who Had No Heart, from also from Nordic Tales, and The Frog Prince by Grimm's Fairy Tales. And now for... River! 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 River, River Rambles! All right, episode 11. Let's do it again. So this episode, we're going to be revisiting different versions of stories previously read on other River Reads episodes. I had a harder time than I thought picking these because I got really attached to the ones we read and then I wasn't as fond of the newer versions. But I did it. And I did it. I stuck through it. And I stuck with the theme and I revisited So this week, we're going to be predominantly um, reading from Nordic Tales, a book called Nordic Tales, which comprises a collection of 16 traditional tales from the enchanting world of Nordic folklore, which is actually in a really big, covers a lot of things, because their subtitle, grabbing a book, that's what's all this banging is happening, deal with it, is Folk Tales from Norway, Sweden, Finland, Iceland, and Denmark. And yeah, so there's that. And then, of course, we'll be concluding by revealing... Gender Blender. We'll be letting you know what was our Gender Blender tale for last week. Yeah, so here we go. I don't know. I didn't make enough notes. Last time I made too much notes, so I think I overcompensated this time and just winging it. We're just winging it at this point. I think it's got to be time. It must be time for this story. Are we ready for a story? Let's get to a story. We're going to go a bit early. We're going a few seconds early this time. Let's get that story going, shall we? Let's do it. The following is rated GGD, meaning it contains gross gore and or death. Sensitive viewers may want to tune back in in approximately 20 minutes. All right. Well, this one, I must admit, um, let's hit all the right buttons. This story is one that I struggled to try to decide which one I wanted to read. Obviously, this episode, my understanding in myself was that I was going to be reading stories that were uh, written differently, somewhat. But this one, I almost wanted to read the exact same one because the one I originally read, I enjoy more. And it was supposed to be like one of the more graphic and gory ones. And... I promised while doing the episode, it was part of the episode three, the darker tales. And at the beginning of the episode, I'm like, I'm going to read it really scary. And 
I didn't. I didn't. Sometimes they, I, I don't, I lie. I don't mean to, <laughs> but I do. And I literally was like, and the corpse is hanging from the sky. Boo, 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 boo. So I was like, well, I could reread it and read it with the intensity I had promised and thought I was going to be able to do. But I think, I think I'm going to, I'm going to read the completely different one. And it's not as scary and it's not as graphic, but I'm okay with that. I think we're going to see. Well, either this made it on or it didn't and you wouldn't be the wiser. So if you're listening to this, just know I went with this one. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can get to it. So the first one was, uh, the story was called The Lad Who Did Not Know What Fear Was. This version is the boy who did not know what fear was. And it is from Iceland and part of the Nordic Tales. There once was a boy so courageous and spirited that his relations despaired of ever frightening him into obedience to their will and took him to the parish priest to be brought up. But the priest could not subdue him in the least, though the boy never showed either obstinance or ill-tempered towards him. Once in the winter, three dead bodies were brought to be buried, but as it was late in the afternoon, they were put into the church till the next day, when the priest would be able to bury them. In those days, it was custom to bury people without coffins and also wrapped up in grave clothes. The priest ordered these three bodies to be laid a little distance apart across the middle of the church. After nightfall, the priest said to the boy, Run to the church and fetch me the book which I left on the altar. With his usual willingness, he ran into the church, which was quite dark, and halfway to the altar stumbled against something which lay on the floor and fell down on his face. Not in the least alarmed, he got up again, and, after groping about, found that he had stumbled over one of the corpses, which he took in his arms and pushed into the side benches out of his way. He tumbled over the other two and disposed of them in the like manner. Then, taking the book from the altar, he left the church, shut the door behind him, and gave the volume to the priest, who asked him, if he had encountered anything extraordinary in the church. Ah, uh, not that I remember, said the boy. The priest asked again, Did you find these three corpses lying across your passage? Oh, yeah, replied he. But what about them? Did they not lie in your way? Yeah, but they did not hinder me, the priest asked. How did you get to the altar? The boy replied, I stuck to the good folk them into the side benches where they lie quietly enough. The priest shook his head, but said nothing more that night. Next morning, he said to the boy, You must leave me. I cannot keep near me any longer one who is shameless enough to break the repose of the dead. The boy, nothing loth, bade farewell to the priest and his family, and wandered about some little time without a home. Once he came to a cottage, where he slept the night, and there the people told him that the bishop was just dead, 
So the next day he went off to where the bishop had died, and arriving there in the evening, begged a night's lodging. The people said to him, "'You may have it, and welcome, but you must take care of yourself.' "'Why take care of myself so much?' asked the lad. They told him that after the dead of death of the bishop, no one could stay in the house after nightfall, as some ghosts or goblins walked about there, and that, on this account, everyone had to leave the place after twilight. The boy answered, Well and good, that will just suit me. At twilight, the people all left the place, taking leave of the boy, whom they did not expect to see again alive. When they had all gone, the boy lighted a candle and examined every room in the house till he came to the kitchen, where he found large quantities of smoked mutton hung up on the rafters. So they had not tasted meat for some time and had a capital appetite. He cut some of the dried mutton off with his knife, and placing a pot on the fire, which was still burning, cooked it. When he had finished cutting up the meat, and had put the lid on the pot, he heard a voice from the top of the chimney, which said, "'May I come down?' The lad answered, "'Yeah, why not?' Then, there fell down on the floor of the kitchen half a giant, head, arms, hands, and a body, as far as the waist, and lay there motionless. After this he heard another voice from the chimney saying, May I come down? If you like, said the boy, why not? Accordingly, down came another part of the giant, from the waist to the thighs, and lay on the floor, motionless. Then he heard a third voice from the same direction, which said, May I come down? Of course, he replied. You must have something to stand on. So a huge pair of legs and feet came down and lay by the rest of the body, motionless. After a bit, the boy, finding this want of movement rather tedious, said, Since you haven't contrived to get yourself all in, you had better get up and go away. Upon this, the pieces crept together, and the giant rose on his feet from the floor, and without uttering a word, stalked out of the kitchen. The lad followed him, till they came to a large hall, in which stood a wooden chest. This chest the goblin opened, and laid, and the lad saw that it was full of money. Then the goblin took the money out in handfuls, and poured it like water over his head, till the floor was covered with heaps of it. And having spent half the night thus, spent the other half in restoring the gold to the chest in the like manner. The boy stood by and watched him filing the chest again. By sweeping his great arms violently over the floor, as he had 
dreaded to be interrupted before he could get them all in, which the lad fancied must be because the day was approaching. When the goblin had shut up the coffer, he rushed past the lad as if to get out of the hall, but the latter said to him, "'Do not be in too great a hurry.' "'I must make haste,' replied the other, "'for the day is dawning.' But the boy took him by the sleeve and begged him to remain yet a little longer for friendship's sake. At this the goblin waxed angry and clutching hold of the youth said, "'Now you shall delay me no longer!' But the latter clung tight to him, slipped out of the way of every blow he dealt, and some time passed away in this kind of struggle. It happened, however, at last, that the giant turned his back to open the door, and the boy, seeing his chance, tripped him up and butted at him with his head so that the other fell heavily backwards, half in and half out of the hall, and broke his spine upon the threshold. At the same moment, the first ray of dawn struck his eyes through the open house door, and he instantly sank into the ground in two pieces, one each side of the door of the hall. Then the courageous boy, though half dead from fatigue, made two crosses of wood and drove them into the ground where the two parts of the goblin had disappeared. This done, he fell asleep, till, when the sun was well up, the people came back. They were amazed and rejoiced to find him still alive, asking him whether he had seen anything in the night. Nothing other common, he said. So he stayed there all day, both because he was tired and because people were loath to let him go. In the evening, when the people began as usual to leave the place, he begged them to stay, assuring them that they would be troubled by either gob, ghost, nor goblin. But in spite of his assurance, they insisted upon going, though they left them, him, this time without any fear for his safety. When they were gone, he went to bed and slept soundly till morning. On return of the people, he told them all about his struggles with the goblin, showed them the crosses he had set up in the chest full of money in the hall, and assured them that they would never again be troubled at night, so no need to leave the place. They thanked him most heartily for his spirit and courage, and asked him to name any reward he would like to receive, whether money or other precious things, inviting him, in addition, to remain with them as long as ever he chose. He was grateful for this offers, but said, I do not care for money, nor do I make up my mind to stay longer with you. Next day, he addressed himself to his journey, and no precision. Persuasion could induce him to remain. For, he said, I have no more business here, and as you can now, without fear, live in the bishop's house. And taking leave of them all, he directed his steps to war northwards into the wilderness.
For a long time, nothing new befell him, until one day he came to a large cave into which he entered. In a smaller cave within the other, he found twelve beds, all in disorder and unmade. As it was yet early, he thought he could do better than employ himself in making them, and having made them, threw himself on to the one nearest the entrance, covered himself up, and went to sleep. After a little while he awoke, and heard the voices of men talking in the cave, and wondering who he had made the beds for, saying that, whoever he was, they were much obliged to him for his pains. He saw, at looking out, that they were twelve armed men of, of noble aspect. When they had had supper, they came into the inner cave, and eleven of them went to bed. But the twelfth man, whose bed was next to the entrance, found the boy in it, and called to the others. They rose, and thanked the lad for having made their beds for them, and begged him to remain with them as their servants, for they said they had never found time to any work for themselves, as they were compelled to go out every day at sunrise to fight their enemy, and never returned till night. The lad asked them why they fight their enemy and never return till night. And the lad asked them why they were forced to fight day after day. They answered that they had over and over again fought and overcome their enemies, but that though they killed them over, again fought and overcome their enemies, night always came, at night they always came to life again before morning, and could come to the and would come to the cave and slay them all in their beds, if they were not up and ready at the field at sunrise. In the morning, the cavemen went out fully armed, leaving the lad behind to look after the household work. About noon, he went in the same direction as the men had taken, in order to find out where the battlefield was, and as soon as he had espied, it in the distance, ran back to the cave. In the evening the warriors returned, wary and dispirited, but were glad to find that the boy had arranged everything for them, so they had nothing more to do than eat their supper and go to bed. When they were all asleep, the boy wondered to himself how it could possibly come to pass that their enemies rose every night from the dead. So moved with the curiosity was he, that as soon as he was sure that his companions were fast asleep, he took what of their weapons and armors he found to fit him best, and stealing out of the cave, made off in the direction of the battlefield. There was nothing at first to be seen there but corpses and trunkless heads, so he waited a little time to see what would happen. About dawn, he perceived a mound near him open up of itself, and an old woman in a blue cloak come out with a glass vial in her hand. He noticed her go up to the dead warrior, and having picked up his head, smeared his neck with some ointment out of the vial, 
and placed the head and trunk together. Instantly, the warrior stood erect, a living man. The hag repeated this two or three, until the boy, seeing now the secret of the thing, rushed up to her and stabbed her to death, as well as the men she had raised, who were yet stupid and heavy, as if after sleep. Then, taking the vial, he tried whether he could revive the corpses with the ointment, and found on experiment that he could do so successfully. So, he amused himself for a while in reviving the men and killing them again, till, at sunrise, his companions arrived on the field. They were mightily astonished to see him there, and told him that they had missed him as well as some of their weapons and armors. But they were rejoiced to find their enemies lying dead on the field instead of being alive and awaiting them in battle array, and asked the lad how he had got the idea of thus going at night to the battlefield and what he had done. He told them all that had passed, showed them the vial of ointment, and in order to prove its power, smeared the neck of one of the corpses, who at once rose to his feet but was instantly killed again by the cavemen. They thanked the boy heartily for the service he had rendered them, and begged him to remain among them, offering him, at the same time, money for his work. He declared that he was quite willing, paid or unpaid, to stay with them, as long as they liked to keep him. The cavemen were well pleased with his answer, and, having embraced the lad, set to work to strip their enemies of their weapons, made a heap of them with the old woman on top, and burned them, and then, going into the mound, appropriated to themselves all the treasures they found there. After this, they proposed the game of killing each other to try how it was to die, as they could restore one another to life again. So they killed each other, by smearing themselves with the ointment, they at once returned to life. Now, this was a great sport for a while. But once, when they had cut off the head of the lad, they put it on again wrong side forward, and as the lad saw himself behind, he became as if mad with fright, and begged the men to release him by all means from such a painful sight. But... When the cave folk had run to him, cutting off his head, placed it on all right again, he came back to his same full senses, and was as fearless as ever before. The boy lived with them ever afterwards, and no more stories are told about him. <laughs> The following is rated GGD, meaning it contains gross gore and or death. Sensitive viewers may want to tune back in. In approximately 17 minutes. All right, I'm banging mics, hitting things, struggling so much. 
I don't have enough hands or space. And I, I can't, I know I complain about this lots, but it is, let's just say it's overwhelming my neurospicy senses to try to do all of the books and holding things. Okay, moving on to the next story. So this is the next story. I, I wanted to do other ones, but they're all too friggin' long. So we're doing this one. We just did it. So I apologize for that. But it was a gender blender story. So it will be a different story. So we're doing um, one that was called, we're doing it again, was in episode, I think, nine. Yeah, episode nine, Trolls, Goats, and a Moon. And it was called The Giant Who Had No Heart in His Body. But of course, I called it The Giant Who Had No Heart in Her Body. And this one was just The Giant Who Had No Heart. And it's a Norway tale. And it is from the Nordic Tales. Let's begin. There once upon a time, there was once upon a time a king who had seven sons. He loved them all so much that he could never do without them all at once. One had always to be with him. When they were grown up, six of them set out to woo, but the father kept the youngest son at home, and for him, the others were to bring back a princess to the palace. The king gave the six the finest clothes you ever set your eyes upon, and you could see the glitter of them a long way off, and each had his own horse, which cost many, many hundreds dollars. And so they set out on the journey. After having been to many royal palaces and seen all the princesses there, they came at last to a king who had six daughters. Such lovely princesses they had never seen, and so each of them began wooing one of the six sisters, and when they had got them for sweethearts, they set out for home again, but they quite forgot to bring a princess with them for Boots, their brother, who was left at home. So busy were they making love to their sweethearts. When they had journeyed a good bit of the way, they passed close to the side of a steep mountain where there was a giant's castle. As soon as the giant saw them, he came out and turned them all, princes and princesses, into stone. But the king waited and waited for his six sons, but no sons came. He was very sad, and said that he should never be glad again. Had you not been left to me, he said to Boots, I should not care to live any longer. I am so sad because I've lost your brothers. But but I have been asking, thinking to ask for leave to set out and find them. I have, said Boots. No, I, I cannot let you go, said his father. I shall lose you as well. But Boots would go, and he begged and prayed till the king gave him leave to go. The king had no more horse to give him but an old jade, for his six brothers and their men had taken all the other horses, but Boots did not mind that. He mounted the shabby old nag. Goodbye, father, he said to the king. I shall come back, sure enough, and who knows, but I shall have my six brothers with me as well. And off he started. Well, when he had got a bit on the way, he came to a raven, who was lying in the road flapping his wings, and was one in, unable to get out of his way, and was so famished. 
Oh, dear friend, give me something to eat, and I will help you in your utmost need, said the raven. Very little food have I, said the prince, and you don't look as if you could help me much either, but a little I must give you, for you want it badly, I see. And then he gave the raven some of the food he had with him. When he had traveled some distance further, he came to a stream. There he saw a big salmon, which had got ashore, and was dashing and knocking himself about, and could not get into the water again. "'Oh, dear friend, help me into the water again,' said the salmon to the prince, "'and I will help you in your utmost need.' "'I don't suppose I can be much of a help you can give me,' said the prince, "'but it is a pity you should lie there and very likely perish.' So he shoved the fish into the stream again. So he travelled a long, long way, till he met a wolf, which was so famished that he was only able to drag himself along the road. "'Dear friend, give me your horse,' said the wolf. "'I am so hungry. I hear the wind whistling in my empty stomach. I've had nothing to eat for two years.' No said Boots. I can't do it. First I came to the raven, which I had to give all my food to. Then I came to the salmon, which I had to help back into the water. And now you want my horse? But that is impossible, for then I should have nothing to ride upon. Yes, yes, my friend, but, but you must help me, said the wolf. You, you can ride on me instead. I, I shall help you again in your utmost need. Well, the help you give me will not be great, but I suppose you must have the horse since you are so needy, said the prince. And when the wolf had finished the horse, Boots took the bridle and put a bit in the wolf's mouth and the saddle on his back. This is CICK 93.9 FM Smithers Community Radio, and you're listening to River Reads with host narrator River Wild. As a non-profit community radio station, we rely on sponsors like City West. As a Gold Plus sponsor, City West supports the Lounge Car Sessions program. City West is a locally owned telephone, TV, and internet company. For affordable and reliable services, go to citywest.ca north. Thank you, City West, for supporting local community radio. We now return you to your regular programming. And the wolf felt now so strong and well after what he had eat, that he set off with the prince as if he were nothing at all. Boots had never ridden so fast before. "'When we get a little bit further, I shall show you a great castle,' said the wolf. And in a little while they came there. "'See, here's the giant's castle,' said the wolf again. And there you will see all your six brothers, whom the giant has turned into stone. And there are their six brides, over yonder in the doors of the castle, and you must go in there. I dare not, said the prince. The giant will kill me. No, not at all, answered the wolf. When you go in there, you will meet a princess. She will tell you what to do to make the end of the giant. Only do as she tells you. Well, Boots went into the castle, but to tell the truth he felt rather afraid. When he had gone inside, he found the giant was out, but in a chamber sat the princess, just as the wolf had said. Such a lovely maiden, 
Boots had never seen before. "'Good heavens! What has brought you here?' said the princess as soon as she saw him. "'It's sure to be her death. No one can kill the giant who lives here, for he hasn't got any heart.' "'But now, when I am here, I suppose I had better try my strength with him,' said Boots. "'And I must see if I can't release my brothers who are standing outside here, turned into stone, and I will try to save you as well.' "'Well, since you will stop, we must try and do the best we can,' said the princess. "'You must creep under the bed over there and listen well to what he says when I speak with him.' but be sure to lie as quiet as you can. So Boots crept under the bed, and no sooner had done so than the giant came home. Oh, what a smell of Christian blood there is in here, shouted the giant. Yes, a magpie flew over the house with, with a man's bones and let it fall down the chimney, said the princess. I made haste to, to throw it out, but the smell doesn't go away so soon. So the giants said no more about it, and when evening came, they went to bed. When they had lain a while, the princess said, There is one thing I wanted so very much to ask you about, if, if only I dared. Well, what can that be? asked the giant. I so like to know where, where your heart is, since you don't carry it about you, said the princess. Oh, that's... A thing you needn't know about, said the giant. But if you must know, it's under the stone slab in the front of the door. Aha! We shall soon see if we can't find that, said Boots to himself under the bed. Next morning, the giant got up very early and set out for the wood. But no sooner was he out of sight than Boots and the princess commenced looking for the heart under the door slab. But although they dug and searched all they could, they could not find anything. "'He has made a fool of me this time,' said the princess, "'but I must try him again.' So she picked all the prettiest flowers she could find and strewn them all over the door slab, which they put in its right place again. When the time came for the giant to return home, Boots crept under the bed, and he had scarcely got well under before the giant came in. "'Ah, I smell of Christian blood there is here!' screamed the giant. "'Yes, a magpie flew over the house and dropped a man's bone down the chimney,' said the princess. "'I made haste to clear it away, but I suppose the smell hasn't gone away yet.' So the giant said no more about it. But in a little while he asked who it was that had been strewing flowers around the door slab. "'Well... "'I, of course,' said the princess. Oh, "'And what's the meaning of it?' asked the giant. "'Well, you know I am so fond of you,' said the princess, "'that I couldn't help doing it when I knew that your heart was lying under there.' "'Indeed,' said the giant. "'But it isn't there after all.' "'When they'd gone to bed in the evening, "'the princess asked again where his heart was, "'because he was... So very fond of him, she said, that she would like to know it. Oh, it's over in the cupboard on the wall there, said the giant. Aha, thought Boots and the princess, we will soon try to find it. 
The next morning the giant was early out of bed, and made for the wood again. But the moment he was gone, Boots and the princess were looking in the cupboard for the heart. But they looked and searched and found no heart. Well, we must try once more, said the princess. She hung flowers and garlands around the cupboard, and when the evening came, Boots crept under the bed again. Shortly, the giant came in. Ugh! Ugh! What a smell of Christian blood there is here! Yes, a magpie flew past here just now and dropped a man's bone down the chimney, said the princess. I made haste to throw it out, but I suppose that's what you still smell. When the giant heard this, he said no more about it. But as soon as he saw the cupboard decked out with flowers and garlands, he asked who it was that had done that. It was the princess, of course. But what's the meaning of all this foolery? asked the giant. "'Well, you know how fond I am of you,' said the princess. I, "'I couldn't help doing it when I knew your heart was there.' "'How can you be so foolish to believe it?' said the giant. "'Well, how can I help believing it when you say so?' answered the princess. Oh, "'You are a foolish creature,' said the giant. "'You can never go where my heart is.' "'Ah, well,' said the princess. "'But I should like to know, for... "'all that were it is.' "'So the giant could not refuse to tell her any longer, "'and he said, "'Far, far away in a lake lies an island. "'On that island stands a church. "'In the church there is a well, "'and in that well swims a duck. "'In that duck there is an egg, "'and in the egg, well, there is my heart.' Early next morning, before dawn of day, the giant set out for the wood again. "'Well, I suppose I'd better start as well,' said Boots. "'I wish I only knew the way.' He said farewell to the princess for a time, and when he came outside the castle, there was a wolf still waiting for him. He told the wolf what had happened inside, and that he was now going to set out for the well in the church if only he knew the way.' The wolf asked him to jump on his back. He could try and find the way, sure enough, he said. And away they went, over the hills and mountains, over fields and valleys, while the wind whistled about them. When they had travelled many, many days, they came at last to the lake. The prince did not know how he should get across it, but the wolf asked him only not to be afraid, and then he plunged into the water with the prince on his back, and swam across to the island. When they came to the church, they found the key for the church door hanging high, high, up on the steeple. And at first the young prince did not know how to get hold of it. "'You will have to call the raven,' said the wolf, which the prince did. The raven came at once and flew up for the key, and so the prince got into the church. When he came to the well, the duck was there sure enough, it was swimming about just as the giant had said. He commerced calling and calling, and at last he lured her up to him and caught her. But just as he was lifting her out of the water, the duck let the egg fall into the well, and Boots didn't know how to get it up again. You had better call the salmon, said the wolf, which the prince did. The salmon came and fetched the egg from the bottom of the well. The wolf 
then told him to squeeze the egg. As soon as Boots squeezed it, they heard the giant screaming. Squeeze it once more, said the wolf. And when the prince did so, the giant screamed still more pitifully and prayed so nicely and gently for himself. He could do all the prince's wishes if he only wouldn't squeeze his heart to pieces. Tell him that he will give you back alive your six brothers and their brides, which he turned into stone. You will spare his life, said the wolf, and Boots did so. Yes, the giant would do that at once, and he restored the six princesses and princes to life. Now, squeeze the egg to pieces, said the wolf. Boots squeezed it flat between his hands, and the giant burst. So when Boots had rid off the giant, he rode back again on his friend, the wolf, to the giant's castle. And there stood all his six brothers and their brides all alive. And then Boots went into the mountain for his own bride, and they all set out for their home, the royal palace. The old king was pleased, I can tell you, when all of his seven sons came back, each with his bride. But the loveliest of the princesses boots brides, after all, said the king, and he shall sit at the top of the table with her. And then the wedding came off, and the king gave a grand feast, which lasted for many a day. And if they are not done feasting by this, why, they are still at it. The following is rated AHD, meaning an animal is harmed and or may die. Sensitive listeners might want to tune back in. In approximately nine and a half minutes. All right. So we have another story coming up. And this one is one of my, f- not my favorite version. Um, actually, it's the Muppet version. That's my favorite. I think it was the Muppets that put out um, the Frog Prince in the like late 70s or early 80s. And of course... I wanted to live in that world and just loved it. It was great. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, go watch the Muppet, uh, the Frog Prince's, um, the Muppet version of it. Anyways, I'm, I digress there. Uh, so this week we're doing rereading the Frog Prince. And this version is definitely not my 
favorite. Um, it's just a lot older feeling, and the ones I've read more recently do have a bit of a more modern twist on them, just kind of the energy around them. So yeah, so anyway, so here we go into um, one of the favorites, but not my favorite version. So I hope you enjoy this one more than I do. The Frog Prince by Grimm's Fairy Tales. In the old times, when it was still of some use to wish for the thing one wanted, there lived a king whose daughters were all handsome. But the youngest was so beautiful that the son, it himself, who has seen so much, wondered at her beauty each time he shone over her. Near the royal castle there was a great dark wood, and in the wood, under an old linden tree, was a well. When the day was hot, the king's daughter used to go forth into the wood and sit by the brink of the cool well. And, if the time seemed long, she would take out a golden ball and throw it up and catch it again, and this was her favorite pastime. Now, it happened one day that the golden ball, instead of falling back into the maiden's little hand, which had sent it aloft, dropped to the ground near the edge of the well and rolled in. The king's daughter followed it with her eyes as it sank, but the well was deep, so deep that the bottom could not be seen. Then she began to weep, and she wept and wept as if she could never be comforted. And in the midst of her weeping, she heard a voice saying to her, What ails you, king's daughter? Your tears would melt a heart of stone. And when she looked to see where the voice came from, there was nothing but a frog stretching its thick, ugly head out of the water. Oh, is it you, old waddler? she said. I weep my golden ball has fallen into the well. Never mind, do not weep, said the frog. I can help you. But you will give me, what will you give me if I fetch up the ball? Whatever you like, dear frog, she said. Any of my clothes, my pearls and my jewels, or even the golden crown I wear. Your clothes, your pearls and jewels and your golden crown are not for me, answered the frog. But... If you would love me and have me for your companion and playfellow and let me sit by you at the table and eat from your plate and drink from your cup and sleep in your little bed, if you would promise all this, then I would dive below the water and fetch you your, your golden ball again. Oh, yes, she answered. I will promise it all, whatever you want, if you only get me my ball again. But she thought to herself, what nonsense he talks, as if he could do anything but sit in the water and croak with the other frogs, or could possibly be anyone's companion. But the frog, as soon as he heard her promise, drew his head under the water and sank down out of sight. But after a while, he came to the surface again with a ball in his mouth, and he threw it on the grass. The king's daughter was overjoyed to see her pretty plaything again, and she caught it up and ran off with it. Stop, stop! 
cried the frog. Take me up too! I cannot run as fast as you! But it was no use, for croak, croak after her he might. She would not listen to him. Instead, she hastened home and very soon forgot all about the poor frog, who had to betake himself to get his well again. The next day, when the king's daughter was sitting at the table with the king and all the court, and was eating from her golden plate, there came something pitter-patter upon the marble stairs, and then there came a knocking at the door, and a voice crying, "'King's youngest daughter!' Let me in! And she got up and ran to see who it could be. But when she opened the door, there was the frog sitting outside. Then she shut the door hastily and went back to her seat, feeling very uneasy. The king noticed how quickly her heart was beating and said, My child, what are you afraid of? Is there a giant standing at the door ready to carry you away? Oh, no answered she, no giant, but a horrid frog. And what does the frog want? asked the king. Oh, dear father, answered she, when I was sitting by the well yesterday, playing with my golden ball, it fell into water, and while I was crying for the loss of it, the frog came and got it again for me on a condition I would let him be my companion. I never thought that he would leave the water and come after me, but there he is now outside the door, and he wants to come in to me. And then they all heard him knocking the second time and crying, King's youngest daughter, open to me, by the well water, what promised you me? King's youngest daughter, now open to me. That which you have promised must be performed, said the king sternly. So now, so go now, and let him in. So she went and opened the door, and the frog hopped in, following at her heels, till she reached her chair. Then he stopped and cried, Lift me up to sit by you. But she delayed doing so, until the king ordered her. When once the frog was on the chair, he wanted to get on the table, and there he sat and said, now push your golden plate a little nearer so that I may eat, eat together. And so she did. But everybody could see how unwilling she was. And the frog feasted heartily. But every morsel seemed to stick in her throat. I have had enough now, said the frog at last. And as I am tired, you must carry me to your room and make ready your silken bed. And we will lie down and go to sleep. Then the king's daughter began to weep and was afraid of the cold frog, whom nothing would satisfy but he must sleep in her pretty clean bed. Now the king grew angry with her and said, What you have promised in your time of necessity, you must now perform. So she picked up the frog with her fingers and thumb and carried him upstairs and put him in a corner. And when she had lain down to sleep, he came creeping up, saying, I am tired, and I want to sleep as much as you. Take me up, or I will tell your father. Then 
She felt beside herself with rage, and picking him up, she threw him with all her strength across against the wall, crying, Now will you be quiet, you horrid frog? But as he fell, he ceased to be a frog, and became all at once a prince with beautiful kind eyes. And it came to pass that with her father's consent, they became bride and bridegroom. And he told her how a wicked witch had bound him by her spell, and how no one but she alone could have released him, and that they too would go together to his father's kingdom. And there came to the door a carriage drawn by eight white horses, with white plumes on their heads and with golden harnesses, and behind the carriage faithful Henry, the servant of the young prince, was standing. Now faithful Henry had suffered such care and pain when his master was turned into a frog that he had been obliged to wear three iron bands over his heart to keep it from breaking with trouble and anxiety. When the carriage started to take the prince to his kingdom and faithful Henry had helped them both in, he got up behind and was full of joy at his master's deliverance. And when they had gone a part of the way, the prince heard a sound at the back of the carriage, as if something had broken, and he turned around and cried, Henry, the wheel must be breaking. But Henry answered, The wheel does not break, tis the band round my heart, that no lessen its ache, when I grieved your sake, I bound round my heart. Again, and yet once again, there was the same sound. And the prince thought it must be the wheel breaking. But it was the breaking of the other bands from faithful Henry's heart, because it was now so relieved and happy. All right, there we go. Okay, what's going on? My mic and my, my lined up. That's a bit better. Oh, hey, ho, ho. There's my voice. I hear you now. I am basically sucking on the microphone, but... There it is. <laughs> okay, so there we have it. We have those stories, and now I'm supposed to talk about something. River, 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 river I don't know what. Let me see if I can find notes. Do I have any notes? I do know that we do have our gender blender. So stay tuned. And what do we got? Now a little bit of mouth trumpet. Okay, that's more of a kazoo, I guess. That really is more of a kazoo. <laughs> All right, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am like just devolving by the second in this outro. Let's just get to the gender blender. <laughs> because we need something. We need something. Gender blender. Okay, so the story was the blue belt. I don't know if you got that one. I mean, the other one was a bit tricky. It was King Thrushbeard. I mean, I, I, mean, I could have tried Queen Thrushbeard. I mean, hey, actually... 
that might be an idea for my uh, when I do my drag time story hour um, coming up in Pride that's coming up this May 27th on Saturday. I'll be doing uh, some reading there in my drag. So yeah, but there we go. So the blue belt was our gender bend blender story. All right. So I think I think I've just completely just lost it. <laughs> and that's okay. I think during this time I have come up with next week's episode. It's a busy month. I'm writing, trying to write a grant. I'm um, organizing, helping organize Pride and doing this show. And I don't know, just it's springtime and it's visiting friends and there's just so much, but not enough time. And I want it all, but can't have any of it at the same time. So next week we're going to do episode 12 and that is going to be numbers two. And maybe I'll, I'll write it out as a number. I don't know. I was trying to be witty. I might change the name. I might try to come up with something even more witty than that. But why not? Numbers two, right? That's kind of fun. So yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. So that's next week. And we're into episode 12. And this, of course, was episode 11. I'm just saying things to say things at this point. But I think we're getting close to the ending where I go. One two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let's do this again next week. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the radio station and any entities they represent. In addition, the stories and any possible twisted messages relayed do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the host, twisted as they are and despite what they might tell you or the radio station or their affiliates or any entities they represent, and solely are those of the author, if even that, for that matter. Also, just now, I'm referring to the host being twisted, not the station being twisted, even if they happen to be so, and that's all I'm saying about that. As a non-profit community radio station, we rely on sponsors like City West. Thank you, City West, for supporting local community radio. This is CICK 93.9 FM Smithers Community Radio, and you have been listening to River Reads with your host, River Wild. For more River Reads, tune in weekly every Saturday at 10 a.m. See you then.